0: If you have your Bibles, would you please turn to, with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be reading the first 18 verses. For sin, since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifice that are continually offered every year... Make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscience of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of the sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of the bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into this world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me in burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, when he said above, you have never desired nor taken pleasures in the sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings, and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does, does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down on the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us
1: Thank you, Justin. Well, it does feel good to be back up here, kind of. I might be able to get used to this. I don't know. (laughs) Thank you to Josh and to Eric for filling in the last several weeks. Uh, People have been asking how it's going, and I have little to no pain now. Uh, Just, I think my line for everybody has been, hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait till the day that I can start walking again. So... But God has been good, He has been faithful. And as Josh has mentioned, and I think Eric mentioned it too, he was a little earlier on in this time, but you know, as we went through Hebrews, we have been speaking a lot about the supremacy of Christ and about the Old and the New Testament. We were chatting with it a little bit about it a little bit this morning in the elders' meeting, leadership meeting. And Kind of the, the thought behind, you know, why, why would the author of Hebrews repeat this so much? And I know each week he brings out another element, another richness of it. But there is a repetition to it in studying this. And the one thing that came to my mind among some of the thoughts are how much we are creatures of habit. And this this letter was written to the Jews. They had followed these ceremonial laws. They had been under the old covenant for Hundreds of years. And it takes time to not just break, to br- but to bring us out of old habits. The, I mean, the writer of Hebrews and, and, and God's telling them and telling us that, you know, there's no more need for these ceremony, ceremonial sacrifices. They had their time, but the final sacrifice has been made. And can you imagine laying down something that you has been a part of you for all of your life and a part of your people for centuries. I'm a creature of habit. I mean, I don't know how many of you, I I think I've alluded to it before, but my kind of ritual habit Sundays that I preach, I get up at 3.30 in the morning and I go down to my office to study. Well, as the creature of habit, I am at four o'clock this morning. I went down the stairs on my bottom 14 steps to get down to my office. We are creatures of habit. We find some rest in that. So as a writer of Hebrews is calling them out of their habit. Again, not just their personal habit, but their, everything they've known for generations calling them out of that. It's okay to repeat it a few times. You know, how, do, how do we teach our kids? We have to repeat things a few times. Now, if you're like me, you get a little impatient with that. But there's wisdom in it, and there's also a necessity in it. Our flesh doesn't die easily and ultimately only dies supernaturally by the very sacrifice that Christ made. But as we've been talking about the supremacy of Christ, we've talked about it also so much because nothing else in creation compares to Him. He is the supreme, the ultimate. Sacrifice, savior, leader, He is everything. Well, we spend one more day today, one more week, comparing him directly to the Old Testament law. And in doing so, we compare the Old and the New Covenant. Now, when we talk about the differences between these covenants, we often assume that the Old Covenant is bad and and the New Covenant is good. Again, in nature, anytime we're replacing something, it's, it's probably because the old is worn out or the old is obsolete or something better has come along. That's not the case with the Old Covenant. Some today teachers even want to dismiss the Old Testament, saying since the Old Covenant has been fulfilled, we don't even have to read the Old Testament. They are wrong. But because we know that the Old Covenant could not save us. The author of Hebrews does not present it in a negative light. The differences are clearly defined. They are contrasted to show how the old covenant cries out for and finds fulfillment in the new one. The old covenant prepares the way and ultimately reveals our need for the new. It was all part of God's bigger plan. This morning, as we look at this text, we want to look at that fulfillment, the perfection, and the forgiveness that it provides. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this truth. We thank you for the provisions that you have made throughout history. We thank you for the Old Covenant. We thank you for the New Covenant. We thank you for eternity to come with you. May your Spirit guide us this morning as we look at your truths in this, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first ten verses of our text this morning highlight the deficiencies of the Old Covenant. Until Christ came, animal sacrifices took place daily weekly and year after year, as our text says this morning, on the Day of Atonement. Reminding the people that were present of their guilt. These sacrifices couldn't keep up with the people's sinfulness. The old system, under the law of Moses, offered a shadow, a shadow of what was coming. A shape if you will, of what was to come. Picture this. They do it a lot lot dramatically in in movies and television shows. You'll see a shadow coming up in, in view of the screen. And then ultimately, you'll see the person who's casting that shadow. That shadow is a shape of. It gives you just a little idea of someone who might be coming. But no details, no richness, no life. Kids, when you chase your shadow, you see the shape of yourself, but you can't see your face. You can't see any details about who you are. The author is saying that all of this Old Testament ceremony was just a shadow. A shadow of what was to come. It left them longing for the real thing. The reality of the good things that were mentioned in verse 1 are the reality of the new covenant Described in Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 10. The author wrote, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor each, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. They shall already know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. The other things also included direct access to God. As a result of these promises, we have direct access to God. No, we can't see him face to face or we would die. But we don't have to go through the priests anymore. We have direct access through God's spirit to the creator. Because of the great high priest, we now have direct access to God. The law was never able to provide complete cleansing from sin. It's not what it was intended to do. That was not the final plan. It was only a step. If sacrifices could have made people perfect, the sacrifices would have stopped. The worshipers would have been purified and feelings of guilt would have been gone. But the repetition of the sacrifices proved their inability to purify people to remove their guilt and provide intimacy with God. As Josh told us as he went through chapter 9, only Christ's sacrifice can can purify people once and for all time. Only Christ's sacrifice can remove the guilt from sin and offer clean consciences. But as verse 3 in our text says, The daily and yearly repetition of the sacrifices actually reminded the people of their sins and taught them that it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away their sins. Animal sacrifices provided only a temporary way to deal with sin until Jesus would come. To deal with the sin In a permanent way. All those sacrifices were necessary to pay the penalty for sin. Verses 5 through 7 reveal that God never took pleasure in those sacrifices. In many places in scripture, God revealed that he didn't want those sacrifices. Of a person whose heart was not right. He did not want sacrifices offered to him by a person whose heart was not after God. Psalms 51, starting at verse 16. He says, For you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. God wanted his people to obey him. The sacrifices were necessary because the people did not live up to the moral standards that God had given. They couldn't do it. We can't do it. Applying to Christ, the words of Psalm 40, starting in verse 6, God's new and living way for us to please Him does not come by keeping laws or by even abstaining from sin, but by turning to Him in faith for forgiveness and then following Him in loving obedience. Now, starting next week with verse 19, we're going to be talking a lot about that for a few weeks, about obedience. And if in some way you've gotten a little weary of the last few weeks, the coming weeks, I suspect, will be a little harder on your toes. I know they're going to be a little harder on mine. Because in our call to obedience, there is suffering. There is difficulty. There, are, there is that sin nature, that human nature, the habits we have that have to be broken. And they often don't break easily. This is what set Christ's sacrifice apart. He followed God's will, obeyed Him, and offered the perfect sacrifice of perfect obedience. The entire Old Testament was written about Christ and His coming. The law and the sacrificial system, as we have said, was a shadow of what was to come. Christ fulfilled the law and the prophecies that announced the coming of the new covenant. God did not desire the sacrifices required by the law of Moses. We've read several scriptures, including our central text this morning, that state that very fact. God had never planned for the old system to be the final provision. Instead, he provided a new way. A new covenant through Christ who obeyed God and willingly gave up his life as a perfect sacrifice. Christ fulfilled the first covenant in order to establish the second. In order to set aside the first system to establish a far better one. God had to do away with the system of sacrifices contained in the ceremonial law. It changed nothing with God's moral law. The ceremonial law prepared people for Christ. And once he was here, that system was no longer needed. Once he came and became the final sacrifice, the ceremonial law of sacrifice was no longer needed. Verse 10, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, once for all. One of the commentaries I read said that is the seventh time that once for all phrase has been recorded in the last two chapters of the book of Hebrews. Once for all, it's done. God wants his people To be made holy. The God of Israel and of the Christian church is holy. He sets the standard for morality. Living perfectly by God's moral law is the only way that mankind can live in perfect harmony. You look at the disharmony that we have in the world today, the strife, the broken relationships. The terror, the torture, the treachery in the world today. In all of those situations, someone has either deliberately or unknowingly came up short of God's moral law. God just didn't put those moral laws out there as just some, I'm going to make a bunch of rules that they have to follow. God's moral law is what we have to live to be in harmony. Holiness means being set apart from sin and its influence. And being totally devoted to God. Holiness is only available supernaturally. Holiness comes out of a sincere desire to obey God and from wholehearted devotion to Him. God's qualities make us, His children, different than the world. A follower of Christ becomes holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Verse 10, we just read, said, we have been Made holy. We have been made righteous. We cannot become holy on our own. But God gives us his Holy Spirit to empower us to obey him and to overcome sin. As we've also already studied, there are two kinds of priests at the heart of the two covenants that we're talking about this morning. And they're defined in different ways. But as we look at these verses this morning, there's another factor that separates them. There's a kind of priest who stands and the kind of priest who sits. You say, "Okay, Kevin, what are you talking about? Why does that matter about anything? Under the old covenant, priests stood daily at God's service. And those two words are used in these verses standing and sitting. But under the old covenant, those priests stood daily at the altar, offering the same sacrifices repeatedly. Those sacrifices that could never take away sin, yet they continued to offer them. They stood every day because their work was never completed. Their ministry had to be repeated over and over and over again. Every day of their lives, remember, they served until the age 50. But when they were done, the next generation came in over centuries. They stood and they made these sacrifices, these insufficient sacrifices over and over and over again. And it could not save a single sinner. Remember, remember, Couple chapters back, when I said that the priest's purpose was to reveal their own inadequacy, the, own, the, 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 the relevance of the job they were performing, yet they performed it faithfully. I know there were some stinkers in the lineage of the priesthood, but I believe that there was a vast majority of them who served faithfully, knowing that they were walking in God's greater plan. They were working out this shadow of what was to come to bring hope, to bring opportunity. Verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. As we breathe today, as we take breath with our lives today, Christ is seated in authority and power at the right hand of God the creator and carries out the ministry of intercession for God's people, for us. In his verse 12, he's waiting for the day that his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. The priests who stand offer repeated sacrifices. Jesus only offered one sacrifice, his is sufficient, the only one that is sufficient to take away sins forever. And its benefits are eternal. They never end. Jesus sits, as this text says, because there is no need for him to stand. He is done. He is finished. He is waiting now for the next chapter in God's greater plan. His atoning work is complete. He fulfilled the old and ushered in the new. And now he intercedes for us. The author refers to Psalms 110.1. It says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is a a reference. This time when he's going to make his enemies his footstool, this is a reference to Jesus' second coming. Jesus will return. We know that by faith. We also know that because it is laid out in Scripture. And we know that at this point in history, every minute detail of prophecy has been fulfilled. We know then that the prophecies that go beyond the frame of time that we are in now will be fulfilled. By faith, we believe Jesus is returning. He will make his enemies his footstool. But he will not come to offer another sacrifice. The priest who sits will return to judge his enemies. Perfection comes through the fulfillment of the old covenant. We talked about that fulfillment and how that came to pass. Now we need to talk a little bit about perfection. Verse 14. I noticed last week, I think, there were one of the questions I had for Pastor Appreciation, what's Kevin's second favorite verse? Because apparently most people know that my first is, for we walk by faith and not by sight. But you want to know my second verse, we're here. Verse 14. The author says, For by a single offering, Jesus himself, he has perfected for all time. Privilege of living in a time when we know we have realized that we have been perfected for all time. It's done. We are justified. Those who are being sanctified, that's the not so fun part. Because we are being sanctified. We are being made holy. We will not be perfected In that sense, until we cross over into eternity and realize the fact that we are already declared righteous in God's eyes. If the last five weeks have proven nothing else to me, I've been reminded very directly that I am being sanctified. And God's still got some work to do. His work, in the first part of that verse, perfects believers'. ever but that sacrifice not only brought perfection it also brought forgiveness so as we are in the midst of being sanctified we walk by faith in the finished work of jesus christ we have forgiveness for every sin we've ever committed and every sin that we will commit as we are being sanctified. Next, the author in verses 15 through 18 makes yet another reference to the Old Testament. He's quoting for the book of Jeremiah. The Lord Lord promises to put his laws in the hearts of people and to write them on their minds. Jesus' final sacrifice brings the full realization, the full forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future So an offering for sin is no longer necessary. The new covenant brings a new heart. The new covenant was new, but it was not a new revelation. As long as man has been able to put things into words, either verbally or written, we knew this covenant was coming. We knew this promise was to be fulfilled. Jesus' sacrifice was a fulfillment of an old revelation. The promise was not Jeremiah's. It was God's. Through Jeremiah's prophetic word, the Holy Spirit bears witness to this new covenant. One of the beautiful elements of this new covenant is God's sovereign grace. God himself writes his laws on the hearts and minds of his people. Those moral laws are within us, looking to come out of us supernaturally, to sanctify us, to set us apart from those who are not following Christ. Out of this comes true obedience. The old sacrifices could never accomplish this, only Christ could. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more was not possible under the Old Covenant. The people of Israel cried out to the realization of their sin, especially on the Day of Atonement. At that time, even though he did not judge it, God still remembered their sin. But now that Christ has mediated this new and better covenant, God no longer remembers our sins. The blood of Jesus removes them forever saying this morning about washing away our sins. Verse 18. Sums it up. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is why this morning I am sitting next to a communion table and not an altar for sacrificing animals. Praise God, we don't live in the era these animals and kill them and sacrifice them and shed their blood and burn them. We are in an era where we remember the final sacrifice. Christ accomplished everything necessary for the forgiveness of our sins because Jesus' offering for sin was sufficient to forgive our sins once and for all time. He, his offering was sufficient to end all other offerings. I mentioned the word era. History is often divided into periods or eras. I believe, and I've said this many times, and I believe it wholeheartedly, that the earth and the universe, for that matter, are about 6,000, a little over 6,000 years old. I believe that God created it all for our benefit. Our existence began with perfection. Adam and Eve were in a state of total bliss and perfection, but they had a choice, a choice that they could make. They had direction of something they were not supposed to do, and they chose to do it, inevitably leading to the fall. Next, after that fall came corruption with no limits. Started with their own son, murdering his brother. Sin was present. Sin was active. That period, that era, ended with the flood. A warning to God's people with near total destruction of mankind. Only eight were saved. But mankind didn't listen to that warning. They built a tower called the Tower of Babel to demonstrate their power. This time, God confused them and scattered them, but they still didn't listen. Next, God brought a covenant to one of his descendants, Abraham and his children. God revealed that mankind could not, in fact, overcome sin on their own. To get back to perfection, man required a God told Abraham that he was going to bring it through his descendants. But in the meantime, God established through Moses the law. Ceremonial. The moral law established the perfect picture. And the ceremonial law revealed the shadow of the way to attain it. And man's inability to attain it himself. And after several centuries of this, God then sent his son to fulfill the ceremonial law. And by his righteousness, present those who believed as justified before him in the moral law. The next and final era is when God's children are not only justified, But made holy once and for all. What an amazing plan God has laid out, all for our benefit. Can you imagine living in the time between the fall and the flood? Yet Noah found faith. Can you imagine some of the chaos of that day? Yet Noah found faith. Between the flood and the old covenant, yet Abraham believed. Between the Old and the New Covenant, living with the inadequacy and in many ways the awkwardness of the ceremonial law. But what about now? We have been declared righteous in God's eyes, but we are being sanctified. Jesus has been presented as the ultimate sacrifice, but Satan and his workers still have dominion. Because God allows it. We struggle with our sanctification. We struggle against the fallenness of this world. Knowing that we have been justified. That the sacrifice has been made. But in this era that we have breath, we struggle with our sanctification. While Jesus sits at the Father's right hand. Patiently waiting for the day when his enemies will be made a footstool. Sitting there, waiting, knowing that Satan is wreaking havoc, but patiently waiting until the day that Satan and his workers will be made his footstool. The day when we will not only be justified, but we will also be fully sanctified, made holy, and not only us but also all of those who have been faithful throughout time as we know it, through all of those eras that I laid out, from the time of Adam and Eve until now, through the end of everything that is written down in the book of Revelation, Christ lived, died, and was resurrected for every one of them. Those who were saved during the era of the ceremonial laws were not saved by the ceremonial laws. They will not be ushered into eternity by the ceremonial laws. They will be ushered into eternity by the final sacrifice. It's hard to be in the midst of the process of being sanctified. That is a reality we have this morning. Again, as we do every Sunday, and I pray we continue until that day when Christ returns. We bring prayer requests, we see the suffering of different people in our church family, different people in our community. No matter what year we would have been born in, it would have been hard. Whether it would have been the time of before Noah, the time of Abraham, whatever era we would have been born in, it would have been hard because sin is hard. All of this had to happen for us to be in eternal fellowship with our Creator. In order for us to love, we had to have a choice. And since we have a choice, and in order to have an opportunity to live in fellowship with God, justice had to be executed against evil. Evil is allowed so that we have a choice, but justice had to be executed against evil, against sin. A price had to be paid. And without a perfect substitutional sacrifice, Justice would have had to have been satisfied with the life of the individual sinner. But in his sovereign grace, God created all of the eras of time to vividly unfold his his plan, to progress from the time of Adam to the time of the ceremonial law, to the time of the second covenant, the, the new covenant in Christ's provision, to give mankind ample opportunity to put his faith in the provisions of God. As you are being sanctified, remember the big picture. What you are suffering, what you are going through is real. It is hard. It is difficult. It is a result of the fallen world. It is a result of Satan's dominion over this earth that we live in. But when you put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ... You have been declared righteous. You are being sanctified. You will be perfectly holy for eternity, not because of anything you do, any knowledge you have, but because of your full faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. May you realize that this morning. May you see that as you look over the accounts of history in God's lovingly unfolding, beautiful plan for his children. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this opportunity. We thank you for the gift of covenant with you, Father. God, in the old covenant, you had a shadow of what was to come. In the new covenant, you fulfilled that. As we wait now to be sanctified, we have been declared righteous. We have been justified and we praise you for that, Lord. And we know that as you have fulfilled every other promise, every other prophecy in Scripture, that you will work your plan to the end. And when we have put our full faith and trust in you, we will live in eternity with you and we will be holy. We will be perfect. Nothing that now divides us and tears us down where we come up short of your moral law will exist. We will be pure. We will be holy. God, may we walk in that promise and may we display our hope in that promise as we seek to bring others into your kingdom, as we seek to walk in honor and glory to you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.